ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Power suits, big hair, sweatbands. The 80s are instantly recognisable. But if you were invited to a 2020s-themed party in the years to come, what would you wear? And how would you decorate? And what food would you serve? We're getting close to halfway through the 2020s at the moment, and trend forecasters are thinking about this and feeling overwhelmed as they track ever more niche and short-lived styles. Another day, another hashtagged fashion or design trend comes and goes. You've probably missed several by the time you finish listening to this. Eclectic grandpa, office siren, psychedelic jockey. Okay, I made that last one up, but it's all getting a bit meaningless, isn't it? Dr Vanessa Brown has been thinking about what's behind this aesthetic churn and burn. She's a senior lecturer in fashion and textiles at the Nottingham School of Art and Design and an expert in coolness. Vanessa, welcome to Blueprint. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Vanessa, aesthetic seems to be one of the the buzziest words of the internet in this particular decade. What do we mean when we're talking about an aesthetic in fashion or design? I think the very idea that aesthetic has become a kind of relatively common term tells us something about how important it is now. What we mean when we say an aesthetic is a set of stylistic choices, choices about the way things are, the form they take, and that, you know, in context of fashion or interiors, you know, we're talking about a unified or somehow consistent arrangement of colour, pattern, shape and motif. That's really how we understand that idea. But it has become something that can encapsulate a trend or it could relate to a particular kind of subcultural identity or class identity, for example. Yeah, well, I'd love to unpack some of those ideas because, you know, as you said, we have a personal aesthetic. And then we have aesthetics that we sort of follow on Pinterest or Instagram and want to emulate in our lives. How does an aesthetic evolve into a trend? Some aesthetics are perhaps you could argue that they're created by designers through a process of trend forecasting and you know we in the industry we work on a cyclical basis and there is a very real economic need to create aesthetics that will shape and frame coming trends and encourage more consumption so in art design education for many many years we've spoken about a thing called a mood board where we gather things together which might be little scraps of yarn or photographs or historical references, or they might be color palettes. That creates an idea for a grouping of different elements that could have an identity. And in order to sell that set of choices and communicate that set of choices to the people who are buying yarns, um, buying fabrics, or investing in particular trends by buying at trade fairs we need to name those we need to label them so that people know what they are talking about then we have this kind of idea that maybe there's something bubbling up among the people somehow we have some people who are particularly on the edge of trends innovators the avant-garde we have references from subcultures where people create 
styles and aesthetics and mold themselves for their own pleasure to differentiate themselves from fashion trends. And those things obviously percolate up as well and influence those people who are creating the commercial frameworks within which we understand trends. Now into that mix, we, in the last 10, 15 years, we've introduced social media and that gives us a very different set of dynamics where yes, people are organically creating things and brands, corporations are also trying to marshal trends and create trends in order to stimulate sales. But there is this kind of relationship between these two that has not really been possible before. So those communications could happen globally and instantaneously. So where the aesthetic comes from that we see as a trend and how we interpret that individually is a very complex business now. A business that's speeding up, you know, blink and you miss it, right? So in terms mm. of the way that social media is fueling how we, we change our aesthetics or art and what gets picked up, it's going a lot faster, you know, relationship with commercial and grassroots or no. Mm. Mm. Can mm. a trend really be a trend if it's dying so quickly it doesn't have a chance for anyone to wear what the trend is? I think there's a difference between we could call them micro and macro trends, maybe. So if you want to demonstrate, perform yourself on social media as someone who is always looking for novelty, is aware of what is happening, is positioning yourself at the forefront of trends and changes, you need some way to signal that. That's the same for an individual as it might be for a brand. Um, the difference, I suppose, is that an individual can pick up and put these things down incredibly quickly, Where, whereas for a brand or corporation, if there are fashion shoots, products, garments and marketing strategies around these things, as much as we talk about the speeding up of fast fashion, it's nowhere near as easy as me saying today that I'm into one kind of core and that tomorrow that is old. There's a sort of language game going on here, which relates very much to ideas about coolness of who's in charge of that language. And we are making ever smaller distinctions between different trends. But actually, if we stand back a bit and we have a look at these micro trends, they're not that different. So really what's happening is we're exaggerating the differences between these things in order to create a sense of novelty and a sense of distinction I mean, one of the things that in my own work I've been interested in is the the fact that although we keep talking about how much things change, actually in the whole of the 20th century, there are certain garments that have had a relatively stable level of appeal and have meant more or less the same sorts of things. I mean, we're still wearing jeans. Yes, we have kind of micro distinctions of which sort of jeans are cool between one season and another. The Breton top, for example, you know, that's kind of endlessly recyclable. And there's also a very real and kind of uh, practical sense in which certain clothes suit our modern lifestyle and suit everyday life. But what we have to do is we have to keep trying to find ways to present those things in differently in order to stimulate sales, but also, you know, in an attention economy in order to stimulate attention towards us as individuals so that we can succeed socially. 
I guess that raises uh, the question of identity that you mentioned earlier as well, mm. because if we're getting this this speed and proliferation of labels to feel like we are getting something novel, getting something new, getting a new or interesting look, if we adopt any of these looks or styles or ideas, what are they essentially saying about us or what do people want these ideas to say about them and is what it says kind of disposable? This is a really good point. Um, the distinction between, say, a traditional subcultural affiliation, like I'm a punk or I'm a goth or maybe I am, you know, a gothic lolita. These are lifestyles that are lived and they have a whole set of tastes and sometimes political orientations around them and a, a social world, but does perhaps pertain more to some kind of coherent sense of self. The whole point of fashion, however, is that it changes and the fashionable person is not committed to any one look. And obviously, depending on your your sort of place in the social world geographically, um, but also class, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, all of those things play a part in how we might interpret those fashions. But for the cultural group around us that matters, the people that we're speaking to, there's quite a lot of status associated with being the first in a social group to adopt a trend confidently and to carry it off. You know, one of the things that's always been said about modern fashion since probably the end of the 19th century is that initially novelty in modern culture strikes us as ugly. We see it as wrong and we think of it as weird and kind of we don't like it and we have to be kind of inoculated against it. We have to see enough of it to accept it. Some people get into those ugly things faster than others. Some people seek them out because they know that they are a guaranteed way to show themselves as somehow more daring, uh, more experimental. And yes, perhaps there's an implied confidence about your personality, but certainly flexibility to change with the times and to show that you're on top of it. So it's interesting. It's really fascinating, isn't it? That we think that the things that might mean something, a garment that might have quite a particular meaning, like, for example, you know, maybe a band T-shirt from the punk era, the Ramones or something like that. It's very sort of strong and significant meaning that's enduring for people who are fans or were fans of the Ramones, but can also be circulated among another group as just the currency of what is now. All of that builds up with the proliferation of, of social media and how quickly a lot of these things are moving. You know, novelty is harder to find, as you said earlier. But do you think there's something to the shift towards using this term aesthetic? Because, you know, as you've said, we've had fashion trends, decor trends, design trends. We've had trends for such a long time. And yet aesthetic seems to be very much a word of the, the here and now in the sense that we use it. I was um, speaking to a colleague whose daughter throws around the word aesthetic like it's um, it's an adjective like, oh, that's so aesthetic. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, so I sort of like wonder about that particular word and how it gives us the opportunity to not just take on a trend or wear something different, but inhabit a whole world, you know, almost like in a cinematic kind of way. What do you think is behind that embrace of this idea of 
aesthetic as who we are. The two possibly negative connotations of the word trend in this context. One is obviously the idea of being a follower and it's not generally thought of as being cool. So, you know, I teach students in a school of art and design in the fashion department and regularly ask new bunches of students which of them follow trends and people do not want to admit to that, generally speaking. They're uncomfortable about the idea of just being a kind of sheep, I suppose. So to have an aesthetic, ironically, suggests something a little bit deeper, perhaps, a little bit more about your chosen style. We sometimes talk about the distinction between being stylish and being fashionable, being, you know, someone who's fashionable, we might think of them as someone who follows trends, somebody who is stylish maybe appears to select from those trends in a way that is consistent with a particular kind of personality and you kind of see that control over what is chosen. And I think aesthetic has some of that connotation of being maybe a little bit more purposeful, a little bit more professional in the way we engage with fashion trends. The other thing is that a trend might might imply for a trend for a particular garment or a particular colour or something like that. But, you know, what we've increasingly seen is the importance of a whole lifestyle. That might be something that encompasses all aspects of our lives. And obviously, social media that is governed by the frame of your smartphone camera does two things. It enables us to show a very selective idea about our aesthetic and our lifestyle. But at the same time, because everything within the shot has meaning, people have become more aware of the fact that what's in the background of images matters just as much as what's in the foreground. So it's a kind of joke that we sort of turn within a room to the tidy corner, or we have specific places in our homes where we're willing to be seen for working from home, for example. And that all of these things remind us every time that we engage with these technologies that we are being judged not just on our body and our clothing, but also the things that surround us and the things that we're using, you know, the cup that we're drinking from, the pen that we're holding, the wallpaper in the background, the pet that jumps onto your lap. You use the term cinematic, and I think it's a really good word for it because in cinema, everything has meaning. In a literary culture, so in one that is mainly circulated through the written word, our imagination fills in the gaps. An author in a book can tell you, they can describe a garment, they can describe an interior, but they can't tell you everything in an instant. But film gives you everything in an instant. And so does the kind of social media that we circulate, whether that is little films or whether even if it's still images, it's doing the same sort of thing. There is this kind of background noise that we can't avoid, um, but we can try to control it. And I I think that's one of the reasons why the idea of the whole aesthetic has become such um, a commonly understood idea. But we have been moving towards this for a long time. So if we think back to the early part of the 20th century, there was a German um, aesthetic called Jugendstil, which was one of the first uh, movements that wanted to bring everything in an interior into alignment so that there was a kind of 
common visual language to everything. You know, it's really interesting uh, why that happened. I think after the Industrial Revolution, when there was this explosion of goods and a total kind of opening up of possibility of what you could do, information traveling around the globe about different kinds of styles coming from different places. And then, of course, media gives us access to the past, increasingly decontextualized and, you know, available at the swipe of your finger. We've got all of this stuff to inspire us and all of these choices that can be made. So, you know, whether that's a huge number of images today, choice of a huge number of consumer goods, but this began really back in the industrial revolution as the consumer market started to expand we moved away from cultures where things were pretty much set you know if you live in a certain place you have a certain job or a certain kind of identity what the way you look the way your stuff looks is going to be determined by your class your income the place you live the local resources that are available to you trends didn't change that much but also there wasn't the plurality of things available so ironically, the more things that are available, the more desperate we become to try and control those things so that we don't just appear to be a chaotic mess of people who don't know who we are. We revel in that freedom to express our individuality, but there's also an equal and opposite panic that actually will make choices that other people think are ridiculous or that show us to have no clue about who we actually are. At the same time, it's actually harder for us to know who we are because we are invited to choose who we are instead of being born into a culture that has some kind of coherence and lasting integrity. I wonder if you think that the uh, the urge to label these hyper-niche aesthetics and call myself an office siren or a mob wife or, or whatever it is today can help us feel in control of that um, and feel more like we exist as individuals. Yes, I think so. And, you know, I suppose there's a kind of identikit kind of lifestyle that can be hashtagged. So you can pick a few different um, iterations of these trends and say, oh, I am these. This is where I feel comfortable. And in a post that you create or a photograph that you take, you can tag things in a way that gives viewers and readers of that material a cue as to how they're supposed to be understanding it at the same time as giving them some kind of idea about what, how you're positioning yourself in, in relation to those trends. Sociologists who started looking at fashion as it began, really, you know, from the very early days of this, so I'm talking 19th century, early 20th century, they knew that there's a really significant tension growing between a sense of the self and the sense of the rest of society, you know, you want to stand out as an individual, but you also do need to belong. We tend to focus in the way we talk on the idea of individuality and a kind of romantic notion of the individual that each of us is unique. I mean, we have this kind of derogatory term of the snowflake, don't we, to describe people of this generation and this kind of idea that we are unique and beautiful and different and fascinating is something that we say to each other as a kind of comfort, you know, everybody's unique, everybody's special, but it also creates an enormous pressure on us to be individual and special in the face of 
overwhelming evidence that we are not. Because in a small community, you might stand out as being somebody who has, you know, nice taste or an interest in vintage antiques or something like that. But you go online, there's nothing, there's nothing I haven't thought of that I can't find that somebody has already done. I think one of the major things that I'm constantly struck by is that we tell each other, and we do it on social media, how free we are and how much opportunity there is to be an individual. But I mean, there's a really brilliant phrase, we're forced to appear and compelled to choose. That's not a state of freedom, is it? It's a state of kind of coercion into participating in all of this, which yes, it can be incredibly liberating, but it can also and is also experienced as an enormous pressure. Absolutely. It feels like this, um, you know, like a prison of sorts. Like if I can't put a name on my on my look and my thing mm. and my, you know, the mm. chosen mirror or my, um, you know, favourite couch or whatever, like then am I existing somewhere? What am I supposed to be? It's not, yeah, maybe it's not valid. You know, it's a form of validation. I suppose that's a good word for it, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So really all of what we're talking about is this dreadful pressure between the desire to signify who you are, to choose who to be, to signify who you are to others, and to find some balance between the idea of being someone who disappears through being the same, just yet another one of all of these people doing the same things and someone who has the capacity to stand out. And this is one of the things that keeps driving these trends forwards because hitting on something new enables you to stand out a little bit. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Dr Vanessa Brown, thank you so much for joining us on Blueprint for Living. You're welcome. Thank you. It was great to be part of it. Dr Vanessa Brown is a senior lecturer in fashion and textiles at the Nottingham School of Art and Design and a coolness expert. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 